Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome along. Thanks for joining us. This is Writer's Routine, and this week we're chatting to Bridget Collins. Her debut adult novel, The Binding, is set to be one of the biggest books of 2019. As the name suggests, it's all about a bookbinder, and it's in a place where secrets can be hidden inside stories, so you don't need to keep dwelling on the past. Now, Bridget talks about what it's like to have such intense interest in your first adult novel with multiple bidders throwing in six-figure sums must lump quite a lot of pressure onto a a, a debut's shoulders, really. We'll find out more in a sec. Also, you can hear how volunteering at the Samaritans gave her the idea for the story. And also, she explains why planning is just a little bit overrated. In some ways, I try not to plan too much on paper because... If I remember it, then it's worth remembering. And if I don't remember it, then it's, you know, you have to kind of trust your subconscious to, like, throw out the stuff that isn't going to work. So stick around. It's all on the way in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Hello. Thanks for being there. Uh, My name's Dan Simpson. Welcome to Writer's Routine. I know we're a few weeks into it. But it's the first time that I've spoken to you this year in 2019. So let's have it. Happy New Year! Yes, thanks for spending it some of it with us. Um, now, this is the show that takes you through the working day of an author, a creative. Someone that even though maybe they've got a million other things going on, uh, they've got normal jobs maybe, they've got families, they've got errands to run, hobbies to keep up with, they get their idea, they take a pen and a paper, probably a laptop and a keyboard actually, and they get down to it. They keep going, and we'll try and find out how they managed to do that. Uh, It's due to be quite a big 2019 on the show, actually. Hopefully we'll have chats with some fantastic authors on the way, like um, Frank Cotterell-Boyce. He's due to be coming on in the next few months. Uh, Jeffrey Deaver as well. He's meant to be here in a couple of weeks, really. Uh, And I know that we've had a slightly slow start to 2019. I've had a few DMs on Instagram uh, asking, when is this coming back? What are you doing? Has it stopped? Well, no, we are going to be here for the new year. Um, But, you know, The publishing industry is a bit slow uh, across Christmas. It's taken a while to get a few emails replied to, but fingers crossed we'll keep going uh, right through the new year with some fantastic chats for you. But maybe don't hold me to it. What would be really helpful, though, if you want to see us carry on uh, and get much bigger is that if you left us a review over on the iTunes podcast store. 
see it really helps with our place in the chart on there and that lets other people see what we're doing it lets other authors know that we really do mean business and then we can get more people involved with us it only takes like a minute of your day and it can just help us out so much please i'm almost begging leave us a review give it a go over on the itunes podcast store this week our guest talking us through her working day is the fantastic bridget collins She's just published The Binding, and and it's a beautiful book, stunning. Uh, Not only the words in the story that's inside the pages, but also the physical copy of it itself. It's one of those books, you know, when you want to be tactile with it. You don't want to put it down, you just want to kind of caress the spine. It just looks so stunning. If you've not heard of it yet, I reckon you need to get on the bandwagon early. You're going to hear a lot about this in the next few weeks. It's the publisher's lead title for 2019. They're ploughing a lot of effort and energy into making sure this magical story gets the audience that it deserves. It's all about Emmett Farmer, who's a bookbinding apprentice. And bookbinding in this story, it's it's a trade unlike any other. It's magical. It helps people forget their worst secrets by locking their stories away in, in, in books that can never really be opened. Until one day, in, in the dusty shelves, the apprentice, Emmett, he finds his own name on one of the books, and he wonders, what secret has he forgotten about? There's a very eternal sunshine of the spotless mind feel to this story, and, and it's a love story as well. Uh, I really think you need to get involved with it. Now, Bridget, she's published around seven young adult novels in the past. We'll talk through those. Also, she's written plays, she's acted, she's even volunteered at the Samaritans. And you can hear how that gave her the ideas for this story in just a sec. Also, we talked about why this book was the one that, for all the years of writing, she really wanted to get down onto paper. And you can find out why it took her so long. And you can hear about the pressure that its predicted success has left her with. Now she's coping, moving on to her second full adult novel. We'll get a top writing tip that may change the way that you work forever in just a sec. And stay there, I've thought of another way that you can help out and you can get involved with the show. Uh, We'll talk more about that after we start with Bridget Collins and we begin, as always, with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Well, I have recently bought myself, it was actually just after the book was accepted and kind of as a celebration, I bought myself this Victorian desk, um, which is what it's called a Dickens desk. So basically it's got a kind of sloping thing with, you know, with leather and gold tooling that you write on and then it has two little sort of towers of drawers. So it looks quite... You know, it's kind of the closest a desk can ever come to a building, basically. <laughs> it's, it's very sort of monumental. Um, and then hanging above that, I have a picture of myself writing um, that a friend of mine, I went to stay with a friend who was living in Galicia and kind of taking photos and, and you know, kind of working on her own artistic practice. Um, and I wrote for a couple of days in this sort of abandoned country house in Spain, which was full of these kind of antique, you know, antique furniture and piles of magazines and all sorts that had been mouldering there for 50 years or so. It was, it was incredible. And she kind of took this photo of me writing. Um, so, yeah, I'm, when I'm writing, I'm kind of looking at myself writing, which is a bit kind of weird, I suppose. <laughs> but you've got this this imposing desk that you say. Is there is there any other art on the walls? Have you got books uh, on shelves around you? What else is in the um, room? Not in that room. It's quite a narrow room because it's basically our sort of second bedroom, which is so it's, it's very small and it's not you know it's not wide wide enough to have more than just a desk in really um so it's yeah it's kind of you know blank white walls apart from this photo um 
behind me there's a sort of big dresser um, which has like my husband's glass bottle collection in it um, and then and then directly behind me I have a desk which I use for like book binding and stuff so that's kind of a modern space with you know a cutting mat and a bottle of glue and things like that it is, it's always very messy <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever met an, an author where it's not been really messy um, well, well talk to me about the mess then so not just that but will I find if I were to walk in now sheets of A4 all over the place with ideas is there post-it notes lining walls how do you organize that part of your 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 writing um my writing I have I have some notebooks um so I have some a red um spiral bound narrow lined has to be narrow lined um notebooks which kind of have ideas in and I kind of have those per book um so I'm writing down like my the book I'm working on at the moment in that notebook are things like um, a floor plan of the building and kind of characters' names so I don't forget them and then bits where I've kind of written longhand in a cafe or something. Um, and then sort of scattered around, there's just general mess. So it's not really writing related. It's like, you know, bank statements that I haven't filed yet and um, old cups of tea and I'm trying to think what's on my desk at the moment. Are you writing on a keyboard? Or on a, on a, on a... Oh, no, I'm writing on a laptop, um, which... You know, I I do occasionally write longhand. Like I, I can sometimes go to a cafe and, um, like if I'm finding it hard to work, sometimes to break that, I'll kind of take myself into a different space, um, and often write longhand. But I most of the time I'm writing on a computer. Well, let, let's talk about then times that perhaps you may take yourself to a cafe the show is called writer's routine tell me about yours so the moment you wake up to the moment that you go to bed on a day when you are writing how does it work okay so i wake up i don't have an alarm um i wake up when i wake up or possibly when my husband wakes up (laughs) if he's noisy um and then i'll i'll go and get a cup of tea have a cup of tea in bed um and then i'll have yeah then so i have breakfast in bed and i'm normally reading at that point like most of my reading gets done in the morning before I start work then I would probably start work at about 10 or 10 30 um and I'll make myself another cup of tea go and sit down at my desk and then probably procrastinate for half an hour with email and Facebook and Twitter um which I I didn't used to be on Twitter but my publisher told me I had to (laughs) and it's so addictive (laughs) um yeah and then I'll probably start work actually at about 11 11 30 and what I aim to do is write a thousand words so that sometimes on a good day that'll happen in like an hour an hour and a half um and on a bad day it obviously won't get done at all but I'll kind of sit there until you know I'll, well I'll sit there until lunch and then I'll have lunch and then at about 2 30 I'll kind of give up and go and do some form of exercise which I think is I find that really helpful because you know kind of I can feel the the blood kind of going to my brain and the ideas starting to work again well I've spoken to many authors who 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 say exactly that who Mm. say you know the story isn't written fingers to the the keyboard the story is mainly written when you're out doing other things and all you're doing is just is just getting it out then Uh, is that it so you go off to exercise do you then do anything else in the evening just just to keep things ticking over um not normally I think the nicest thing is when I want to go back to it and you know there are days where you know where I I, or or sometimes you know if if an idea has come to me while I'm exercising then sometimes I'll go back to it like if I've kind of broken the block as it were Um, but normally I would actually what do I do I I have a nap 
in the afternoons. <laughs> You're spending um, all your day in bed, I'm I know, learning. I know. I, I probably do spend most <laughs> of my time in bed if I looked at it and kind of drew a diagram. <laughs> When I'm writing a book, I I know the shape of it. I know that there'll be kind of stepping stones and markers that I want to hit. Um, And then the rest of the time I don't... Like, if I'm in the middle of a scene, obviously I'll know where it's going. But I think often when I don't know what I'm writing, it's because I don't know where I'm going and kind of trying to work out what I'm actually trying to achieve is the battle. Like, once I know what the scene is meant to be about, then it's, you know, it's just a question of finding the right words, which is relatively easy tell me about the first moment that the idea for the story came into your head I I knew I wanted to write about bookbinding so I can remember I I don't think I can remember like the actual moment I can remember sort of very early days like walking down the street and thinking like having a picture in my head of somebody visiting a bookbinder and it was kind of very Victorian and I sort of I had the feeling of historical fiction about that image but that must have been like that was really early on that was months before I started writing and so the the central idea of the binding which is about um books kind of containing people's memories I think I, I don't remember that coming to me like there was no kind of flash of that coming to me but I mean the idea sort of developed from when I was a Samaritans volunteer and I was kind of listening to people tell their stories and every so often you would hear somebody who kind of got stuck with the same memory and I'd kind of think, well, you know, could I, could I just take that away from you and, and what would that be like if I could? So I can kind of identify the germination of the idea without, like, I can't even really remember sitting down to start the book. It, it, it's as if the memories themselves kind of only come into focus, like when I started writing it, you know. I completely get that, but let's try and unpack then. You said it was a, a few months Mm. when that germ of the idea you finally started sitting down although you can't remember the precise moment what did you do next though so you've got this tiny little germ Mm. um uh, bookbinding maybe want to take some memories off people then what are you doing how are you expanding that as a writer i think i think i knew about the emotional trajectory of the book like i knew that there was a love story in there and so i think I think it's like I'm kind of I do a lot of writing by pretending you know that I'm kind of I think it ties into the acting as well it's it's slightly childish but I'm kind of like I'm going to pretend to be that character and just kind of walk down the street like that and I think there's something about living with the characters that develops into that narrative because you're kind of yeah you're you're looking at the world through their eyes and then seeing what comes to you does that make any sense? You know, it completely <laughs> makes sense. Uh, and I, I like the idea of you as an author, as you say, almost inhabiting these characters. Yeah. Right at the start, at that very initial, as you say, first three months, before you had started writing, is there anything else down on paper? Uh, are, are you sitting there? Are, are you brainstorming in a very school-like manner? No. No, definitely not. Um, I think... I think it's twofold. I think in some ways I try not to plan too much on paper because if I remember it, then it's worth remembering. And if I don't remember it, then it's, you know, you have to kind of trust your subconscious to like throw out the stuff that isn't going to work. I think the other thing that I try to do is write the book as if I'm reading it, which 
obviously, you know, with something like the binding where it's not written in chronological order, there are there are problems with that because obviously you're kind of setting stuff up to reflect things that happened in the past to the characters that you don't know what they are yet. So it's it's problematic. But equally for me, I think the momentum of writing comes from that excitement, which is the same excitement that you feel as a reader, which is that you just want to know what happens next. So say often on the show, authors describe their story to me as, as, as almost like a road map. Yeah. And when they sit down, they know where they're going. They know hopefully where they're ending. But things are becoming clear as they're driving along, as they're finding Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. I think there's some there's somebody who says something like, you know, when, when you're driving at night, you can only see like 10 metres in front of you, but you can make the whole journey that way. And they talk about that as a metaphor for writing. And I think that's that's absolutely spot on, that you kind of, you, you know the direction and you know the destination, but, you know, you don't know very much about, except about the next few pages, but actually you can write it like that. So what did you know then? Uh, so so when, when you first, st- I know that you said yeah. that you can't remember the very first moment that you sat down, but... You've got this idea in your brain, as you say, about bookbinding and about taking memories away. Yep. What else did you know about uh, what this story would become, what Emmett Farmer would do? I knew about the love story. Um, so I knew that there would be this very passionate relationship which would be forgotten by both protagonists at different points. Because I think one of the one of the things that really drove me with the binding is... You know, I love those moments in fiction where people who love each other meet each other and don't recognise each other. I think there's something really kind of poignant and rich about that. So I knew about that. Um, and I knew about the place, I think. And, the you know, the, the bindery, as it features in The Binding, is pretty much pure wish fulfilment. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, I want somewhere quiet on the marshes, you know, really beautiful where I can just work and not be distracted. So so that place was, you know, it was almost a character in its own right that kind of I was dreaming about what that would be like. When I started, he was kind of... It, his story was was absolutely about the plot and it was about the central relationship, but it was kind of, you know, he sort of almost didn't exist until he got to the binding. And my agent sort of said, well, this is weird. You know, he's a strangely sort of neutral, childish character. Like, what's going on with him? And one of the things that I had to do was kind of go and and think about his, you know, his world and his physicality as well and the kind of, you know, the work he's doing on the farm and and kind of flesh out his interior monologue so that it wasn't just about the one thing because obviously nobody ever only thinks about a love affair even if, you know, even if mostly what they're thinking about is love. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it was was finding that and, and also because at the beginning he's kind of it's as if he's been sort of erased because he's had this illness and he doesn't really know who he is at the, at the anymore and and so he's kind of he's almost like the reader that he's starting from a position of knowing nothing about the world he's being taken into and so that's you know it was really important that when we flashed back to his life that it was kind of rich and and full and you know that he wasn't just that sort of neutral empty space waiting to be filled well, so let's talk for a second about the tone and the voice that you used for him. We've already mentioned yeah. that you, you wrote in the first person. When you're writing this type of book, um, which uh, you know is, is described as genre-defying, genre-bending, mm. how much thought are you giving to the tone of voice that the words will be read in? With Emmett, I was basically going 
I wanted to just describe everything as precisely as possible. So I wasn't really, you know, the voice I was giving him was similar to, to how I would describe it. I wasn't thinking about character in terms of prose style at, at that point. Um, but in the third section, the narrator changes. And at that point, I was like, oh, okay, these are two different people. So I have to make sure that they're properly differentiated. And that was, I think that's a really interesting challenge because obviously, you know, I wanted to keep the sort of precision and the detail and the kind of noticing things about the world because I feel like that's that's how I write and that's how you know how the reader is experiencing the book but equally you know different characters are going to notice different things and they're going to have different sentence lengths and all those kind of things so it was as if Emmett was a sort of default me and then the other character I thought well actually you know, let's find ways to, to make a difference. I'd like to unpack something that you just said about just very simply different sentence lengths. Mm. So when you are writing as different characters, when, when you're telling their side of the story, perhaps, when you're using their voice, then how much do you think about little nuanced things like that, that as, as a reader you wouldn't pick up on, but it's just, it's, it's down there on the page, like length of sentences, the, mm. the, the actual language that they're using. How much are you thinking about that as an author? Um, consciously, not a huge amount, because I think what, what you're aiming for is for your characters to be sufficiently differentiated in your head that you can inhabit them in such a way that actually when you write them, they'll be different anyway. And that's, you know, sometimes that just happens naturally, that you kind of, you know that some characters are going to notice something and some characters aren't and you know sometimes that's just about frame of reference that you know Emmett for example is going to know a hell of a lot more about farming and if he sees plants or something he's going to kind of know what they are and what they do and somebody from a city is just kind of be like oh yes that's grass you know (laughs) that that sort of detail um but there are you know so so some of that just comes from what you know about the characters and and your sense of who they are and and also I think you know the voice also does that that if somebody has a certain amount of authority or they're used to being listened to or um you know like um de Havilland one of the characters in the book is very sort of um he's kind of arch and the words he used you know he's he's like his voice came very naturally to me and and is very clearly I think distinguished from the others just because I was like yeah I know how you talk because you're a slippery bastard you know (laughs) so so some of that comes naturally but because you know because I I wanted both of the narrators to be sort of immersive and sympathetic voices they had so much in common in some ways that I, I had to think consciously about, you know, how do I make sure that they're not the same person? You mentioned both the narrators there without giving anything away mm. as much as you, as much as you would like to without yep. spoiling things. Was that a surprise that you needed two narrators? Was it always going to be one until the moment that it switched? Yeah. Well, I, I actually didn't know this was, this was something that came to me as I was writing. And I think I'd got to the end of the second section, which is where it switched. And we're sort of thinking, yeah, what do I do now? <laughs> and I genuinely didn't know. And I can, I can remember kind of lying in bed at night and being like, oh, okay, I've got it. And, and there's, you know, that, that was a really lovely moment because there are, you know, it felt like I hadn't had to work for that. It was just like somebody had sort of leant over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, oh, you've got to, got to change narrators. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We'll be back with more from Bridget Collins in just a sec, and we'll get a top writing tip that may change the way you work forever next. Uh, First, though, uh, that reminds me of something, something I've been mulling over for the last few weeks. I'm very aware the the listeners of this podcast are, are probably writers of some sort obviously right that, that's kind of the point i doubt this gets many of the average podcast listeners that need anything to kill the time on their commute i mean we know my dad wrote a porno i think the only thing we've got in common with them is writing really and i'm th- i've been thinking a lot more about that the writer maybe that's you are you a writer and, and you've just finished your book or you're struggling through parts of it and you're looking for publishers to listen to what you want to say, you want to get it out there? Well, why don't you come on this show and, and let us do that for you? I'm really up for it, honestly. If you've got a writer's routine, if you've got some tips and tricks that helped you get your story down on paper that you want to tell everyone about, why don't you let us be the middleman? easy it's really simple to let us know if you want to come on and talk us through your story you can do it through twitter uh, we are at writers pod over there uh, give us a follow while you do it too uh, also on instagram you can find us it's writers routine and dms are always open fire one over and you can also get to writersroutine.com where you can send us a message all about your story it's time for today's top writing tip that may even change the way that you work forever and this week it's from a crime writer and a cattle farmer with a short but sweet reminder that you need to get stuff done. Hi, my name is James Oswald. My new book, No Time to Cry, is out now. And my top tip is finish the draft. It doesn't have to be good, it just has to be done. I told you, short, sweet, but really useful and succinct. Uh, You can listen to the full chat with James Oswald and hear all about his working day, how he marries being a cattle farmer by day and a crime writer by night and tinkering around on classic cars during the weekend. Uh, We've got the full episode that you can catch up on right now. It's over at writersroutine.com. Right, let's get back to Bridget Collins then, the star of this week's episode, the author uh, of the brand new book, The Binding. It's due for huge success in 2019. It's been called a genre-defying fusion of history, of magic, and a powerful exploration of mental illness. 
Now, in this half, we talk all about the differences between writing young adult to proper adult fiction and why she didn't really write it with any particular age range in mind. We talk about habits as well, uh, the, the writing habits that you make when you're starting out with an author. Uh, and we pick things up chatting about the edit. You know, if this was the book that she's told us that she really wants to write and that she ploughed so much emotion and so much ideas into it, what was it like sitting down with your agent and having to cut so much out? It was hard. It was probably the biggest edit I've done. I mean, I edited it three or four times. So I edited, I did a big edit for my agent um, and then I did a smaller edit for my agent and then I did an edit with my editor and my American editor and then I did like a line edit and you know so so it's been through a lot and editing is is really interesting because in some ways it's much easier because obviously you have something there to work on and in some ways it's really hard because you're kind of you know you're you have to concentrate on everything that's there already and you have to you know try and maintain the discipline of reading it as if you haven't read it before because otherwise you you know you the background noise kind of gets so loud that you actually can't see what's there anymore so it's what was nice about it was that the more I edited it the more it became about the relationship rather than the kind of um the sort of adventure of of what was happening around the characters physically you often feel like you're kind of down a mine and you're chipping away at the you know and you're trying to bring out something that may or may not be there already you know (laughs) i'd like to ask you very quickly about um we've got already kind of spoken about how people have described this as a genre defying book Mm. um and it it seems to be a book laden with with themes it's got a lot to say when you did sit down even Mm. though you can't remember it to start writing (laughs) your story what did you want it to say what did you want the, the the point of this story to be um I just wanted it to be a kind of immersive, moving love story. I think I was using the stuff about memory to enable the plot rather than using the plot to talk about memory. So it was absolutely about just writing a book that I wanted people to to read and enjoy and kind of be absorbed by. I think, I mean, the memory stuff, I think, you know, I, I find that really intriguing personally, and I do... I am fascinated by the way memory makes us who we are and, and how if you get rid of memories or, you know, that kind of takes something of our humanity away somehow. And I think there is also a message, although it certainly wasn't conscious, but in the book I think the implication is that we have to feel, you know, miserable feelings. We have to feel the sorrow and the pain and the embarrassment, you know, and that those are, are worth sitting with even if we would rather get rid of them but that was something you know that I think that's just how I feel personally and it happened to come through in the book it wasn't like I decided that I wanted to explore that in the book and and genre wise then because you Mm. as you say you've written YA before I've spoken to a lot of authors on the show who are extremely genre based Mm. thriller authors crime authors romance authors how hard is it as as an author and and not to have a genre because I'd imagine a lot of publishers want it to. They, they want somewhere to put it on the bookshelf, for instance, when you're in Waterstones mm. or something. As, as an author, how hard is it not to be... How hard is it to almost write open-ended and just, just tell your story and not be moved by all the genres that 
maybe exists that might be pulling your brain in different directions? I think, I mean, the, the great thing about this book for me was that I wrote it, when I wrote it, I was between contracts and my editor at Bloomsbury had left. And I wrote it because I kept trying to, you know, I was sending idea after idea after idea to my agent. And every time she was like, yeah, great idea, but but no, it's not commercial. And so the, the binding really came out of, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop second guessing what's commercial and I'm just going to write the book I want to write. And so I didn't even, you know, when I wrote it, I didn't even know if it was an adult book or a young adult book or anything like that. So I was really... You know, I was doing everything you shouldn't do if you're trying to pitch a book. I was like, you know, I don't care about genre. I don't care about age group even. And so, you know, one of the amazing things about how this book has been picked up is that, you know, it feels incredibly validating that this is this is a book that I just wrote for me. And that's the one that people have kind of fixed fixed on. And yeah, I didn't second guess myself at all. <laughs> well, let's talk about that commercial success then. Perhaps not commercial success. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, predicted commercial success Fingers and, crossed, so, yeah, and yeah. some critical acclaim. I mean, there's, there's a lesson in there, isn't there? I'd, I'd say, um, and I, every time I, I chat to authors, I learn more and more about how getting a book published works. And I mm. really didn't have a clue that, you know, you've not, you've not really written a book yet you're you're firing ideas to an agent who then mm. says actually go with that one but that must be as you say must be so validating to to do away with all that mm. and this be the one that that people are seem to be latching on to uh, how does it feel for you uh, you know to have this idea and suddenly everyone wants a part of it this thing that you've slaved away at for years and years oh, it's, and, yeah it's amazing um and i think for it to happen with a book that you know, feels like the possible, you know, the most authentic book so far because I wasn't thinking about marketing or, or the audience or anything. That's incredibly special, um, and it's kind of yeah, it's it's been sort of surreal and overwhelming and and lovely, you know, and and kind of because I've been published before. I think even though this is my ad- adult debut, you know, I know how special this is, and I think that's you know, I feel really lucky that I can be like, yeah, okay, you know, I, I know that this doesn't always happen and it's amazing and it's and it is amazing i mean this is the publisher borough press's lead title mm. for 2019 yeah what does that mean for you the next one that you're going to write how much pressure does this heap onto your shoulders um, well <laughs> some <laughs> I, think, I think i mean i am i am really grateful that i've written books already and that i've had multiple book contracts before even though they weren't anything like the scale of this because i know i can do it um and i think you know, for debut authors who, you know, who have that sort of energy behind their first book, and then they have to go away and write a second. And, you know, second books are always really hard. So to have that extra pressure is terrifying. And so I think I I have a a version of that, obviously, but in some ways, I'm cushioned against it, because it's not actually my second book, it's going to be my ninth, I think. Um, and also, thank God, I've written the first draft, so I don't know. You know <laughs> so whatever happens around publication, I've, I've kind of got that in the bag already, which is great. Um, and I think that the nicest thing about having got this contract is just the the feeling that I'm allowed to carry on writing, you know, to have that permission and feel like I'm not scrounging off my husband and it's not a hobby. And, you know, I've, I've got somebody saying, yes, I want you to write that. That's an enormous gift. When I was writing YA, I was always kind of, 
you know, skimming off a level of complexity that I would naturally have put in there because I was second guessing this audience who wasn't me. Writing an adult book, I could kind of think, well, I'm writing this for me. I'm an adult. You know, so if if I just write the book I want to read, then actually that's, you know, that was very liberating. I think still, you know, I still had habits which were a kind of hangover from writing YA. So that was one of the things that my agent looked at with me. And what, what Talk to me about those habits very quickly, just because I imagine um, writing yeah. YA must be, or writing any kind of kids fiction must be hard, because as you say, you're always second guessing an audience that isn't you. You're always having to check what you're writing kind of mentally and you don't, I mean, you're not a young adult anymore. Exactly. You're, you're not a kid. I, I don't. I don't know yeah. what these what these people think. But what were the bad habits that you'd kind of got yourself into? I, I'm not it? sure they. I don't think they're bad habits exactly. But I think like when you're writing YA, um, like the pacing, I think is one of the major issues. I think the pacing is much faster in in YA, um, and so a lot of what I was doing in in the edit was to kind of put more space around what was happening to the characters and and give people time to kind of feel the implications of that. Um, and I think, I think conversely with YA, your, I think the tendency is to spell things out more, particularly in terms of relationships. Like if you have a scene where two characters are, you know, having some kind of confrontation, I think, you know, in my YA books, I would be absolutely like, have you got this? Because they are angry with each other. (laughs) And my agent was like, yeah, I think you can trust adults to be a bit more, you know, to kind of see the subtleties a bit more. And, and, you know, you don't have to to spell that out for them as much. You said that the inspiration for this book, some of the idea came from when you were volunteering for the Samaritans. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious as to, how do you feel about, like, is there a more, and you can take this either way. Is there a moral line to use when someone's talking to you at, at the worst mm. moment of their life mm. on the phone? Is there a moral line where you're using some of their experiences for your own story? I'm just curious about that. I think, I think there is a moral line and I, I would never use their experiences. I think, you know, when, when you're a Samaritans volunteer, you know, it's, it, it's completely confidential. Like it can't leave the office. Um, and that was something that, you know, I wouldn't violate that, even though, I mean, you could probably, you know, take elements of people's experience and change the names and nobody would know. But I think you're right. I think that would one would feel a little bit queasy about that. I think what what was most valuable about that in terms of my writing was was seeing the shape of what trauma did to people and kind of the, the patterns of you know, sometimes people would be telling their story and it, you know, you would kind of feel honoured because that was their way of getting through it and you were helping with that and that was immensely moving. But every so often, if somebody kind of got stuck and sometimes you would have, you know, calls with people where they would tell you the same story over and over again and you would have had that call, like literally verbatim that call with them before. And so you'd be sitting there and, and you'd be trying to support them and encourage them to tell the story and at the same time you'd be feeling like this is not helping you know and and the samaritans best practice is to kind of you know explore it with them but if what you know if they've got to where they are because they've been exploring it in a kind of constant loop for you know 10 years you know what do you do with that and and so it was it was really that it wasn't about the listeners so much as my own feeling of am i complicit in this thing they're doing that isn't healthy and and what would i do about that if i could let me take you right back to the start of the interview then um you mentioned when you are struggling yeah. with your day of work, maybe you'll pop off to the cafe. Is there anything else? Is there any eccentricities, maybe an intricacy, something that helps you get the work done when maybe you are struggling, something that you need 
that maybe other people might not um i think exercise is the big one and i think that's pretty much universal i think occasionally this is this is somewhat eccentric um but going off on a slight tangent do you know elizabeth gilbert's ted talk about inspiration it's really it's fantastic it's worth worth watching um but she talks about sort of pretending that you have a muse in order to kind of relieve yourself of the responsibility of of searching for inspiration and she actually like talks to her muse and pretends that it's sitting in the corner of the room and so every so often if i'm really stuck i will like light a little candle on my desk and kind of say right you know i'm just going to sit here and wait I don't do that very often, but occasionally. <laughs> right, that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much for giving us a listen and a massive thanks to, to Bridget Collins uh, for sitting down with us. She's, as you can imagine, incredibly busy at the moment because her new book, The Binding, is out right now. And it's one of those ones that I reckon you should read it right away, you know, so then you can gush about it just like I have for the last 40 minutes or so, like everyone else is going to be. You want to get on this bandwagon early. Don't be late to the party. Uh, now, remember, here's the thing, uh, a bit awkward. I said at the start of the show, I'll hopefully be with you more or less every week. Might not be the case for the next month or so. I kind of got my timings wrong. I'm waiting for people to get back to emails and so I won't bore you with, with the details, but we should have another episode in around two or three weeks, fingers crossed. The good thing, though, if you have just found us, there's over 50 episodes for you to catch up on to help with your working day. Uh, Chats with Cecilia Ahern and Ian Rankin and Karen Slaughter and Anthony Horowitz and just so many other fantastic authors who are giving us an insight into their day. Please do subscribe to them all over on the iTunes podcast store or wherever you get your shows from, spaces like Spotify, because then the new ones, they will automatically download and you don't need to worry about clicking any buttons to get them either. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram uh, so you can keep across what's happening when with new shows that we're doing and thank you very much for listening i'll see you next time bye mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.